that's the scripture we're going to talk about today. Uh, and it's a very interesting text <clears throat> for, for a lot of reasons, but it's very interesting how we see in that story of, of Jesus being tempted uh, in the wilderness. We see this uh, really interesting kind of coming together of the, the natures of Jesus, right? We've talked before about uh, Jesus is not two separate natures. He is not divine and human at separate times, but he is fully divine and fully human. Yet in this passage, we see uh, this really interesting kind of interaction uh, where the humanity of Jesus is really on display. And there's a lot of questions we ask about that. Uh, could Jesus really have failed at, his, uh, at these temptations? Uh, how is it possible that, uh, that Jesus, who is fully divine, is also being tempted? Is it really a temptation if we know the end result? Uh, and there's a lot of questions there, but I think the best way to read this scripture uh, is to read it as it's presented, that Jesus is there uh, and having this interaction with Satan. And so there's a, there's a lot of, of details, and if you want to uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, there's a lot of details in this story, uh, and we could, we could work through this, the, the distinct temptations and the way that Jesus responds in each way, but as I was studying this passage this week, the thing I was really drawn to was really the first verse, <laughs> the first line. I think there's a lot packed into that line uh, that, that we can kind of pick it apart and... Uh, not only learn about what's going on in Jesus's context, but I think we can pull ourselves into it as well. So that's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna really focus on uh, a few things that are happening in this first line of, of this story. Uh, but let's uh, start by centering ourselves in prayer and then we'll talk through the scriptures together. God, as we now turn our attention uh, to the text, we affirm as always the power in these, these words. We pray that you speak through the word of scripture, that we hear your powerful, living, and active word. We pray that you give us a sense of expectation, a sense of participation as, as we study and read and learn and hear these things together. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, the, first, the first line, it simply says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let's start with that first word. It says the word, Then. So this is a word that is putting this passage in the context of the greater story. So we've been working our way through Matthew. Uh, we were in the Sermon on the Mount, then we jumped ahead to the Transfiguration. Now we're coming back to this, this temptation. And so I want to kind of remind us of, of what happened just previous to this in Matthew chapter 3. Because again, the then pulls us back to what just took place. And so if you cast your eyes up uh, to the last few verses of chapter 3, you see that this is coming right on the heels of the baptism of Jesus. We talked about this uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, this, this moment when Jesus comes out uh, to the Jordan River where John the Baptist is baptizing people and preparing them for, uh, essentially for the kingdom of God to come, and Jesus goes out and he submits himself to the baptism of John, which in itself is this powerful moment of Jesus saying, I am with you, right? I am, I am human, I am part of this whole thing. Uh, but the part that I think is really significant for what we're talking about today is the last verse, verse 17. Uh, so after, as soon as, well, really go back to 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. 
So while there's this, this very humanness of the, the baptism of Jesus, he's aligning himself with humanity. What we also see is this really powerful moment in which God himself uh, kind of gives this, this, this public stamp of approval upon Jesus, right? This is my son, right? He's, he has this moment of affirmation, right? He has this moment of, of calling. It's kind of like uh, if you think about uh, in a place where there's a monarchy, when the king or queen would get coronated, right? There's this big ceremony and this pomp and circumstance and there's robes and there's crowns and there's scepters and there's oil and there's all of this stuff. But it's at that moment that there's this confirmation of the role of this person. This person is now the ruler. And so here in this baptism of Jesus, right, we see this very similar thing. It's almost like he's being anointed uh, with the Holy Spirit in this confirmation this is a big moment, and I think when we think about Jesus, and again, this kind of interesting interplay with his, his two dual nature, right, humanity and divinity, I think what's happening, in, happening here in many ways is Jesus is getting this confirmation as well, right? He's feeling this calling, right? He's, it's being affirmed that this is what you are here to do, and this is now the time for you to do it. This is uh, like a spiritual high point in Jesus' life, right? This is one of those mountaintop experiences that we sometimes talk about. This is one of these moments when Jesus is like feeling, <laughs> uh, experiencing, knowing that this is who I am, this is what I'm called to do. And there's this really powerful thing happening here, right? And so we go right from there, right from uh, this, this spiritual calling, coronation, affirmation, high moment at his baptism, it says, then <laughs> Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. So we have these starkly opposite things taking place. We go from this mountaintop experience of affirmation to now he's heading out into the wilderness to be tempted, from the top to the bottom, right? And it's this movement, okay? And we'll come back to this wilderness in a second, but I wanna move on here in the text, right? Because then... Jesus was, and the next word I want to talk about is led by the Spirit. This little phrase is, I think, absolutely critical and central to understanding what is taking place in uh, this, this story, in this event, right? A lot of times we think of temptation is like, uh, and this is often true, temptation is this thing that happens when we are in these moments of weakness, right? When there's something wrong with us and so the devil seizes the opportunity to tempt us. And there's, there's truth to that, right? But I think that we would be missing out if we thought that this is why Jesus is being tempted by the devil, because something was not quite adding up with him, and so the devil brings him to this place, right? And that the devil is the one who's in charge. The devil is the one who's calling the shots here, right? While the devil is the one who's doing tempting, God is not tempting Jesus. The devil is the one who's doing the tempting. This little phrase is really key because it says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil, okay? God is never not present in this whole experience. God is never gone. God is never absent. God is never on the sidelines, but God is in and through this whole thing. In fact, it's the Holy Spirit that leads Jesus to this place where this temptation or this testing is about to take place. And so we don't wanna think of this as Jesus is kind of like in this shadow land away from the presence of God and that's when the devil comes in, right? 
Because God is at work in this whole thing and he's moving in this whole thing. And unless we see that and understand that, I think we're gonna miss out on not only what is going on here in Jesus' life, but I think we're gonna miss out on some of the bigger teachings and lessons that we can draw from this text. Okay, so we have two things already. <laughs> then, so right after this moment of, of, of spiritual confirmation, affirmation, things are as good as they can get, then Jesus is led by the Spirit, right? He's brought by God who's in control of this whole thing and is moving and active and a part of this and over, through and in and all around all of this, right? He's led by God into the wilderness. So let's talk a little bit about the wilderness because this uh, is the setting for what's happening here, but there's, there's more to it than that. So the wilderness uh, in Scripture and in the life of the, the people of the Bible is certainly uh, a place, right? And so uh, look at this, new projector, high definition, right? Uh, so... If, if we look on our map here, we got the Dead Sea, you got the Sea of Galilee, uh, Jerusalem's right here. Jesus is somewhere by the Jordan River when this baptism is taking place. But this is the land of Israel, and you see there's green there, right? But if you look all around, <laughs> except for the water, every other uh, location here is surrounded by brown, by desert, by wilderness, right? It's, uh, I, I heard it said that uh, you would often kind of talk about the place where you lived when you, when you live, and still to this day, where you live in relation to the desert, right? So in the same way, we kind of think of like Lake Michigan as like this big uh, land, not land, water mass, right? This big physical feature, and we can often think about how far are we from the lakeshore, you know? I have 20 miles from the lakeshore, or we're an hour from the lakeshore, or whatever it is. Kind of, we always think about ourselves in relationship to this big body of water. This was the truth uh, for the people living in, in first century world uh, in Palestine with the wilderness. Where are you in location uh, to the wilderness? It's this kind of ever-present place, this ever-present, almost, almost living force that's out there. And so if you were to go today, this is an area called the Negev, uh, which we'll talk about. You see uh, just this barren wilderness. That road was built a few years after Jesus. Uh, but you get an idea, right, of, of this, this area, this wilderness. Uh, and so it's a place. It's a physical place. And you're always kind of thinking, where, I, where am I in location to this? But in Scripture, uh, it's also much more than simply just a place. The wilderness or the, the desert area uh, throughout scripture, and especially throughout the history of Israel, is the setting for some really key and critical moments in the lives of, of some of the central figures in scripture. And so I wanna look at just a few of those moments this morning because I think it will help us to put into context what's happening uh, with Jesus and kinda how the Jesus story of being led by the spirit to the wilderness, how that fits into the overarching narrative and what we can maybe glean from that. So I wanna look at a couple uh, a few little stories quickly. So the first one is in Genesis chapter 12. So Genesis 12 uh, is the beginning of the story of Abraham. If you're familiar with the story of the Bible, you're probably familiar with the call of Abraham. Uh, Abraham was just a, a wandering man, uh, but God called him out of his country and said, I have chosen you 
to be the father of my people. Up until this time, God had been working with all of humanity in kind of a, a general sense. But with the call of Abraham, he focuses on to one specific people, one specific family, uh, which will become the nation of Israel. And Abraham will be the father of that nation. But before that time, he's just, uh, he's just a dude, <laughs> worshiper of false gods, uh, just kind of a, a, a guy, a nomad. But God calls him, and uh, the first few verses of, of Genesis 12 reflect that calling. But I want to look, uh, starting in verse 6, after God calls him, he leaves his home and he begins to move, and they set out for the land of Canaan. In verse 6, it says, Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of, tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an, an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And in verse 8, from there, he went towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai to the east. Then he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Now, what's significant about these few verses? Abraham has been called to leave his home, and he does. And he travels up around from the east down to the west into uh, this land that God is bringing him into. And he travels all throughout it. And he views the land and he experiences the land and he understands that this is the place. It's almost as if he's settling in, right? Similar to thinking, thinking about Jesus, right? He has this moment of calling. Abraham has had this moment of calling and he's gone and has been faithful to this calling and he's there in the land. But then in verse nine, it says, then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. The Negev is that place I just showed you on the picture. The Negev is another word for the wilderness. So Abraham has this moment of experience of calling, uh, this setting and establishing of who he is and what God is about to do with him, and he's there, and then he goes from there into the wilderness. And if you peek ahead, we're not going to read it, uh, but immediately following this is Abraham's foray down into Egypt. Now, really briefly, uh, without getting into the, the details here. This trip down to Egypt becomes one of the first major tests or crisis of faith in Abraham's life. God has called him to this land where he will, God has said, I will establish you here, I will plant you here, this will be the place where I will, I will take care of you. Uh, but in verse uh, 10 it says, now there was a famine in the land. So Abraham is there, this place where God has called him, he goes into the wilderness and he realizes that there's a famine in the land, so what is Abraham going to do? This crisis, this moment of faith. And while he's in the wilderness, he's faced with it. How is he going to respond? God has called him to this place and God said, this is where you will be and I will protect you, but now I'm facing this trial, this trauma, this testing, what will I do? If you know the story, Abraham goes down to Egypt and things get a little sketchy from there. And eventually God brings him back and, and things work out as they often do. But that moment is really key. And I think it's important for us to note that the, the, the time and the place and the setting for the beginning of this faith crisis moment for Abraham is while he's in the Negev. He's called and he's established in the land, then he goes into the wilderness and he's faced with this trial this testing, how will he respond? How will he respond to the faith that God has called him to? So that's Abraham. The next story is the story of Moses. So 
turn to Exodus chapter 3. You're probably familiar with Moses. Moses was an Israelite who was basically adopted into the Pharaoh's family while the Israelites had moved uh, into Egypt. They were slaves in the land. Uh, Moses was born. He was adopted into this family. He was raised uh, in, in Pharaoh's household, but uh, he got himself into trouble and he had to flee. And so he ran from the land and he became a shepherd, a farmer. Uh, and that's basically where we pick up the story after he's fled from the land. Uh, in verse uh, one of chapter three, <clears throat> I'll put it up here, you can see it. Uh, it says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Okay, so this is the call of Moses, right? This is where Moses goes from being the tender of the sheep to being the tender of God's sheep, right? He goes from being the shepherd of the flock to now he's gonna be the shepherd of God's flock. But I think it's important for us to take note of where this is happening, right? He has gone from this time of splendor and growth and plenty in the land of Egypt and has had to flee. Now, it's been several years since he has had to flee, but there, he's still kind of in that transition, right? And he finds himself, like Abraham before him, in the wilderness, in the desert. And it's there in the desert that he has this encounter with the presence of God. And the story goes on from here to say that Moses, God calls Moses, says you will be the one who will go to Pharaoh and you will be the one who leads these people out, right? Moses has gone from this time of plenty to this time of the wilderness and it's there where he's facing this testing. What will I do? <laughs> what will I do with this calling that God has given me? How will I respond to this moment where God says, trust me, Abraham, or trust me, Moses. Have faith in me, Moses. I know what I'm doing, Moses. I'm in control. And he's there at the far side of the wilderness. And he hears this voice. How will Moses respond? Spoiler alert, he goes. Uh, and it works out eventually. But again, the wilderness is the setting for this faith crisis, this moment of testing of how will I respond to what God is about to do. And in the same way as Abraham comes from this moment of affirmation to now he's there, Moses has similarly gone from a moment of being uh, one of the, 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 the most wealthy people in the land to now finding himself in the wilderness. How will I respond? The third story, story of Elijah. 1 Kings 19, one of my favorite stories, if you've been around here any amount of time, you've heard me talk about this story. 1 Kings 19 uh, is, tells the story of Elijah, who's one of God's prophets. And just previous to this story, uh, Elijah has uh, performed perhaps one of the most spectacular, powerful moments in Israel's history 
where he has challenged the prophets of Baal who have said, our God is the real God. <laughs> and Elijah says, actually, no. <laughs> and so they go up on this mountain and they have this showdown between the gods and God uh, just shows himself to be powerful. Moses, or Elijah not only uh, calls the fire of heaven down onto this altar, but then he slaughters 150 of the prophets of Baal. That's the part that doesn't get to the kids' stories too often, but, uh, right? But then, uh, Elijah begins to fear from his life. So he goes from the mountaintop, right? He goes from this moment of there is no doubt that God is here and present and alive, and God has just come down in fire and consumed the altar, Elijah has no doubt in his mind about the reality of what God is capable of doing, but then he's forced to flee. And uh, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, uh, in verse three, after, uh, after he begins to, to flee from, uh, from Jezebel, it says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself when a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. We just talked about this passage not too long ago, uh, and we're re reminded of how God says, get up, Elijah. <laughs> I'm still here. I'm still present. In fact, I'm gonna speak to you. I'm gonna show myself to you. But where is this taking place? This mountaintop experience that Elijah has where there is no doubt of the power and presence of God to now he finds himself in the wilderness questioning everything. And he has this crisis in this moment of faith and testing and temptation. How will I respond? How will I go from here? Things were great, now things are difficult and I'm in the wilderness. What is going to take place? The wilderness, as we have seen, and this is just a, a handful of stories, and we could go through the Old Testament, and we could see time after time after time, Israel's people find themselves, these great heroes of faith, find themselves in the wilderness, in these moments of trial and temptation. So the wilderness is a place, but it's more than a place. The wilderness in Scripture represents uh, this time of crisis, how will I respond this time of testing? How will I react to what God is about to do? Now, no story, no teaching on the wilderness would be complete without talking about perhaps the greatest wilderness journey of all, which is the Exodus itself. So turn to Deuteronomy chapter eight. This will be our last one that we look at here. So Deuteronomy is the other side of the story <laughs> or the other end of the story uh, from the call of Moses. The call of Moses begins the journey of the Exodus. Deuteronomy is the end of the Exodus. The people of Israel have just been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, for an entire generation to die out, an unfaithful generation to die out, and now they're a new people, and they're standing on the, the plains of Moab. They're standing on the east side of the Jordan River. They can see the promised land, the land that God has called them to, right? And Moses gathers them all together. And Deuteronomy is essentially the series of speeches that Moses gives to the people to prepare them. Basically saying, look guys, I can't come with you, 
But when you get there, when you get to the land, here's all of the things that I want you to remember. And the beginning of Deuteronomy is really Moses reminding these people of their history, reminding them of their story. And so check this out. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, this is uh, the words of the Lord through Moses. He says this, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. So that harkens back to that call of Abraham. So listen to this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Where have I heard that before? Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Now there's a lot going on there and we could unpack that. Uh, But what I want us to kind of take note of is this this bigger picture theme uh, that's being communicated. Because Moses says, uh, remember what God did. (laughs) First, he says this, remember how God led you, right? And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Remember how God led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years, right? Jesus was there for 40 days. But this is what I want to see. He led you to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then fed you with manna. So for Israel, this period in the wilderness, this period in the desert, this period of want, this period of not having the food that they would have liked to have, not having the water that they would have liked to have, not having a home where they could settle and put down roots and have a nice picket fence and two and a half kids and a golden retriever, right? Not having all of these things that they would desire and they want, this period of want, this period of longing, this period of not quite being there, Yes, this was a period of punishment for the people and their wickedness, but here in the text here, it gives us maybe an underlying picture of what was going on here, right? God led you through the wilderness for the reason of testing you to see what was in your heart. God brought the people of wilderness, brought the people of Israel into the wilderness and didn't just say, all right, I'll see you guys in 40 years, Text me if anything comes up, right? (laughs) But God is present in this entire experience of wandering. He's present in this entire experience of longing and wanting and not quite having or being enough. It says that God is using this as a period to see the heart of the people of Israel. But I think not only to see the heart of the people of Israel, I think what's also happening here is God is shaping the hearts of the people of Israel, right? Because it doesn't have, they don't have food, but what does God then do? Provide food, right? 
They don't have any place to get new clothes or new shoes, but what does God do? He prevents their shoes and their clothes and their feet from wearing out. So God is testing, God is watching, God is seeing what's in their heart, but God is also moving in such a way to shape their heart. In other words, God is showing himself to be faithful to them in a way that he could only do if they were in the wilderness. (laughs) If they were still in Egypt and God just kind of opened the floodgates and the Egyptians started bringing them food and plenty and they had all the meat that they could want and all the quail that they could want and all the food that they could want and all the shoes that they could want, there wouldn't quite be... (laughs) That same sort of experience of God saying, look, I'm providing just what you need just when you need it to remind you that I am just the one that needs to be here. The wilderness provides the setting for God not only to see them as they truly are, but to help shape them into who they truly needed to be. And this could not have taken place anywhere else besides the wilderness besides the desert, besides this place of longing. So maybe when we think about the wilderness, we could say this. God often uses the wilderness to see and to shape what is in his people's hearts. This is what God does for the Israelites. This is what God does throughout these different moments And I think this brings us back to the story of Jesus in Matthew chapter four. So let's let's go back there. Because then Jesus, after this moment on the mountaintop, this moment of affirmation at his baptism, then Jesus is led by the Spirit. God is not absent in watching from the sidelines, but God is present in all of this. Then Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This place of want that so often serves as the background in the setting for God to see and to shape what's going on in his people's heart. And it says in there, uh, he was led to be tempted or tested is is maybe a a little bit better translation, by the devil. Again, the devil is living, active. (laughs) Not as powerful as God, but he he is at work here. But all of this is happening under the scope of who God is. And as Tim read us the text, we saw uh, the devil essentially testing Jesus to say, all right, so I know, and you know, you have this calling, I know and that you know that you are here for this particular reason. How are you going to use what you have? How are you going to use what God has given you, right? Are you going to use it for yourself? Are you going to use it to elevate your own fame? Are you gonna use it to elevate your own name? Are you gonna use it to do things your way? Or are you gonna submit to what God wants and what God is asking? And so while we, we, we kind of have to hold the, the humanity and the divinity of Jesus in both hands, I think what we can see here is Jesus experiencing the same type of testing that all of these people throughout history 
of Israel have. He's in the wilderness and God wants to see what's in his heart and wants to shape what's in his heart. Jesus answers correctly. <laughs> the temptations fail. Uh, the angels attend to him. But I think it's important for us to see what's happening in this bigger picture of scripture to understand what's happening to Jesus because then I think we can think a little bit about ourselves and where this story maybe speaks and, and, and touches us. Uh, a lot of times we talk about life with this same sort of terminology, right? We talk about being in a wilderness. <laughs> and many of you, maybe right now, are kind of in that place. If not, you probably know what I'm talking about, right? Maybe it's a wilderness period of, uh, of, of employment, right? Maybe you lost your job a while ago and you've been searching and looking and it just hasn't quite found <laughs> that thing. Or maybe you're in a job right now, but it's something that sucks the life from you <laughs> rather than giving you any sort of spark of joy or, or pleasure or meaning or purpose, yet it kind of just keeps going in day after day and Monday after Monday, right? In this period of wilderness, right? And you kind of feel like you're just kind of spinning your wheels. Maybe for you or, or, or maybe it has been in the past uh, experience of a relational wilderness, right? Maybe your partner left you or maybe you just haven't been able to quite find that person whether it's a romantic relationship or whether just a deep friendship, uh, and you just kind of feel alone. <laughs> Maybe you lost a loved one, a spouse, and for months and years perhaps, it's just kind of this longing, this, this spinning of wheels, and you never quite feel like you have what you need or what you want. Maybe it's a financial wilderness, right? Maybe the term living paycheck to paycheck is a reality for you. And you look at the bank account and you see the numbers going that way instead of that way. And you start to wonder, <laughs> where is this going to come from? How is this going to be paid for? There's not a lot of prospects on the horizon. And you're just kind of spinning your wheels, wondering how, where, when, right? You can be in an emotional wilderness, right? You can be in a wilderness of, of faith. Maybe it's been a long time since you felt any sort of real spark when it comes to thinking about things of faith, right? You keep showing up and you keep coming on Sundays and you keep opening your Bibles when we tell you to open your Bibles and you're there and you're being faithful but there's just not that thing and God hasn't shown himself to be present and active or faithful or you haven't had your eyes open <laughs> to seeing God's presence active and faithfulness in your life for a long period of time. And it's this wilderness of just kind of spinning your wheels, longing, wanting. Right, we use these terms all the time. And I'm sure as I talk about that stuff, you could, you could identify one area or two areas where you say, yeah, that's me right now, or that was me three years ago, or whatever, right? These periods of wilderness. But the thing about them is as humans, we tend to naturally kind of push away from that. And I think a big part of that is we live in a culture that uh, is literally built upon uh, the, 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 the false truth that in order to be happy, you need to, you need to insulate yourself 
from any sort of wilderness desert experience, right? In order to be happy, you need to make sure that you have everything you want when you want it, right? Whether that's a relationship, whether that's money, whether that's food, whether that's whatever, right? And so we live in this culture that is constantly kind of pushing us to insulate from any sort of wilderness desert experience. And so we kind of create these false barriers, right? We kind of create this, this false protection cocoon that keeps us from, from being in that place of the Negev. It keeps us from being in that wilderness. And that's fine, <laughs> that's okay, and, and, and for season, perhaps that's healthy. But what we see in scripture is that these wilderness periods are not particularly times of punishment that people should be actively fleeing from. But what does God say to the people in Deuteronomy? God led you through the wilderness in order to see what was in your heart, right? God uses these periods to see and to shape the hearts of his people. So maybe as we read these stories and we hear about these wilderness experiences, it would be helpful for us to ask, what may we be missing when we constantly insulate ourselves from the wilderness? Now, I don't think it's always appropriate, necessary for us to go seeking the wilderness, right? To go into places where we're depriving ourselves, but... What happens when we are constantly putting up these barriers so that we never have to rely on God's provision? What happens when we find ourselves in these places of, of sorrow or loss or grief and our first response is, how can I get out of here as fast as I can? Perhaps <laughs> that's, an, that's, that's an okay thing for you to do. But what happens when you reframe what the wilderness does when you recognize that often God uses these periods to shape the hearts of his people, how does that change the way that we interact with this? What do, how does this change the way that we prepare and insulate ourselves? Are you in the wilderness right now? Are you in this period where your wheels are spinning or maybe you gave up even trying to push on the gas a while ago and you're just there? And you'll be there until God does something, right? Have faith. Be encouraged. Remember that God has a tendency to use these periods in a way that only he can. And be encouraged that God sometimes works in a way where it can only happen in the wilderness. What if we were people who leaned in to the desert rather than constantly tried to find our way out? Again, there's seasons, right? There's times to come in and to go out. But I think it's helpful to hear the way that God has been at work and to see that even Jesus himself is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And that in that period, God works in a way that only God can and in a place that only the wilderness can be. What does that look like for us to be people who are aware of that sort of thing?
we're going to close uh, just by singing a couple verses of, of Be Thou My Vision. I think it's good for us to kind of sum this up, bring it all together. This hymn is such a good reminder of that calling to allow God to be the one who shapes us, God to be the one who guides us, God to be, as the scriptures, as this song says, the Lord of our hearts. So why don't we stand together, let's have a word of prayer. We'll sing and we'll reflect on what it looks like to be people who lean in to the wilderness. God, it can be scary to find ourselves out there. It can be scary to find ourselves alone. It can be scary to find ourselves without any prospects on the horizon. Yet, we see in Scripture that time and time again, that is the place that you use to move and shape and work and act. So God, may we be open to that. God, I pray for my friends here this morning who maybe find themselves in that wilderness. I pray that you provide and that we all have eyes to see the way that you are providing. I pray that you move and that we all have ears to hear that movement. God, I pray that you are our vision, that you are our Lord, and you are the one that we hold to, trusting that you will work in a way that only you can, because you are good, loving, powerful, and faithful. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's sing together.